It's a sensitive, delicate deal, dragging brand new songs out of the sky. Trading ideas, accepting some, storing others in the maybe later bag, moving on and along with hardly a plan. During the Zep years, I never imagined a full-scale album project without the other guys, and even less the idea of new writing partners. But then, since 1981, I've enjoyed many amazing, exciting musicians in the sharing, in the writing, in production and engineering. Men and women who encouraged and enlightened, introducing me to crazy curves I could never have imagined. For this podcast, I'm going to be picking out some songs from here and there along the way, mixing constant shifts in sound and intention from across this long, old time. There's a story in all of them. I'm Robert Plant, and this is Digging Deep. Hello, welcome. Come in, sit down. This is episode 12 of Digging Deep with Robert Plant. This is the last episode in this season. As you probably know, in this podcast, Robert chooses a song, one of his or a collaboration he's worked on or a track from one of his bands, and tells the story of that song's creation. It's that simple. So we've tackled some big songs in this series, Bones of Saints, Like I've Never Been Gone, Ohio, Achilles' Last Stand, all of which can be heard now if you go back to previous episodes. But Robert has been waiting to talk about the song in this episode, and I think you might have been waiting for him to talk about it as well. This episode, yeah, this episode concerns a song that that looms large in your legend, shall we say? What are we choosing? Well, I don't know about looming large in my legend. <laughs> it sounds like alliteration's artful aid, but uh, I think um, I'd like to just perhaps visit Big Log from July 1983 from the album Principle of Moments. I was desperately trying in 81, 82, 83 to write songs and move away from previous uh, musical place and um, to get the story right. Many years before that, I went to Rockfield Studios in Monmouth and Dave Edmonds was recording I Knew the Bride when she used to rock and roll and uh, all that stuff. And he was his contract, I think, with RCA was up and... Uh, I really, really loved that sort of South Wales rock and roll stuff. Um, with uh, it, just seemed to be a nest of uh, almost. It sounded like sort of early Nashville rock and roll, like nineteen sixty-two, sixty-three kind of stuff. And Dave Edmonds was at the helm of it all. He had a great group. He had, uh, I think Nick Lowe, Terry Williams. It was far out stuff. Um, Billy Billy Bremner, yeah. Not the footballer. And um, so I went to Rockfield, enjoyed the place, found Dave, got him to sign to uh, Swan Song Records and just went about my business and 
he had some good success, I had a good time. And I used to pass by and go to Rockfield quite often because the Welsh Borders is my sort of manor. And down there, it's a pretty beautiful country. And um, at the end of 1980, I had no place to go. Led Zeppelin was over. John was gone. And so I formed a group called the Honey Drippers. And um, we used to play clubs around England for no money. And I played with this great band. Uh, really, they were really, really good players. And we used to play small clubs and go around. And uh, the driver of our van, his name was Big Dave, used to go to the front door of the club and say, who's playing here tonight? And if anybody mentioned me, we'd just drive on. So it'd have to be the Honey Drippers. And that was it. So then we could play our stuff. You really did that? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so Robbie Blunt had been, and Andy Sylvester were the two guitar players who were in this band. And they were both extraordinary players and still are. Um, and um, we'd gotten to the point where there's only so many times you can play Gene Vincent songs to 13 people in the, the Limit Club in Derby. So uh, <laughs> I thought... I really want to know whether or not we can make a big sound that sounds big without it being really, really heavy and tough. So we went, I went to Rockfield and um, actually I went down to what is now called Mono Valley Studios and um, pulled a group together with uh, Cozy Powell and uh, Paul Martinez, Jez Woodruff on keyboards, Paul playing bass, Robbie Blunt and actually Andy Sylvester played bass to begin with. Uh, I knew, first knew Andy from a group called The Shades of Blue who played around the black country with Christine Perfect on piano, Christine McVie. Ah, fabulous groups, really great R&B stuff. Um, and so we put this band together and started writing songs and um, and they rolled out in a kind of haphazard way. Andy decided against the idea of going for it again. So Paul Martinez came in to play bass and we went to Rockfield and started recording. And um, it was really interesting because it was the first time ever I'd been away from the kind of the crash of Zeppelin. And uh, I really didn't realise just how much uh, patience and concentration you really need in a studio to get people to perform, give you something really, really important. What do you mean? Well, because Zeppelin seemed to roll out in some kind of magical way. And quite often we recorded in uh, locations with a mobile truck. So we might play one, the beginnings of one song, for say, Trampled Underfoot on Physical Graffiti. And we just play it until it became something. That was it. Because... It was open all hours, the studio was there, the mics were up, and the engineer was always there, and if he went to sleep, we'd wake him up, and <laughs> the roadie would go to get some cider and crash the car, and all that sort of thing. So being in the confines of a studio with an engineer who has to go home because he'd got to keep his ears clear and all that, it was a real um, new twist. 
I see. And I had to really bluff my way through it because I didn't really know studio etiquette. So after all that success in Zeppelin, I never really went behind the desk at all except for to push the, the vocal effects on the Zeppelin tracks a bit more here and there. So it was a real challenge. So to try and de-create changes in music and pattern and form, I had to try and distance myself and learn at the same time about all sorts of different approaches to recording, to writing, to performance. And I was helped absolutely admirably by Phil Collins, who came along. He was also on Atlantic Records, and he came along and he said, uh, he said, John Bonham was probably the most important influence in my life. He said, I'll sit in that stool for you. So he came down and we did on both Pictures at 11 and Principle of Moments. He he was an absolute restrained powerhouse with enthusiasm, uh, you know, unending energy and lots of humour. And we had really great fun. Then he came on tour with us. He said, I can take a, I can do this for a month. And that was when In the Air Tonight was just breaking. I didn't know he toured with you at that Yeah, time. yeah. He gave everybody a coat in every night on the bus for playing too slow or and of course they smooth and cool you could call the other guys but Phil was having none of it he'd stand up on the drum riser with his sticks in his hands and go get it right come on let's go so we got all that tr sort of great tremulous thing going on yeah. and I needed to soften it up a bit so we turned on a uh, TR-808 drum machine which you must have remembered from the heady days. Yeah, still, still, still actually yeah. aged quite well. Yeah. Some of those sounds. What would we do without the hand claps of a TR-808? And for me, it was like, I thought, this is so sh shite, this sound. <laughs> but somehow, if you play the right way with it, you know, and of course, I was into 4AD and the stuff that was going on with uh, Jesus and Mary Chain and all that. There was just loads and loads of music that I was interested in in that kind of almost darkened shadow mm. of the music at that time. And so we powered up the 808 and Robbie Blunt with his amazing eloquence on the guitar started playing this melody line. Big Log was born, and um, and it seemed like falling off a log. Really, it just it was just like just very very easy to write a road song. No talk of Pensacola, Florida, or you know Scotts Bluff, or sadly no beautiful names like Newport Gwent or you know Aberystwyth. You can't write them into a song, but. Um, when I saw Lucinda Williams the other night, she was discussing her album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, and she was going through each song, and she was talking about each song and how, how, what could you do if you called New Orleans New Orleans? It wouldn't work in the song, but you can actually mutate every name with a Louisiana drawl. So I couldn't mention any names 
in Big Log. I couldn't say where I was going because I was probably going to Rill. But I could write about going. And most of my time has been about coming and going. It's interesting. You can you can watch an artist's relationship with some songs about whether that song surfaces in performances and maybe falls out for a tour or two, or like you can see them talking about it and how that ebb and flow of like actually mm. that's I really don't want to hear that song ever again and it's fine but <laughs> yeah. I never want to hear it again. Another thing, yeah. like, actually, you know. Coming from the cold, because yeah, now I've had a bit of time away from you, I can appreciate your good points mm. as well as your bad points. And I guess you're always going to have songs like that. Yeah, we, I mean, with Space Shifters, we revisited it about three years ago. and um, How was that? Great, because we, we'd spent some time in Memphis and we'd been round to the studio where um, Willie Mitchell used to work producing and so we'd been to where Al Green had cut his stuff you know so we were talking about the Al Green rhythm and how late the snare drum is and all that so we decided to to have a bloke from Wolverhampton singing an Al Green song Uh, and and so it had another life I don't know whether the guys from Jar Wobble and Cast and Massive Attack wanted to go, leading me on. But um, anyway, there's a song uh, and another one of those songs. And ironically, after that, on uh, later on down the line, I wrote a song called The Way I Feel, and it's basically Big Log Part 2. It's a great song with Doug Boyle playing guitar. It's not funny either. It's, it's torrid, more torrid. There you go. That's it. That's the actual story of Big Log. That iconic track, for once and for all, that's the story behind it. 
Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. This is actually the last in this series of Digging Deep with Robert Plant. Um, thank you to everyone involved with making this happen. Not least Robert for doing the interviews, picking the songs and making very good cups of tea uh, during the recording. We do appreciate that quite a lot. There is, as we've talked about on previous shows, a new Digging Deep vinyl box set coming out, a collection of eight seven-inch singles featuring some B-sides and rarities and hits. You can buy it. It comes in this beautiful bespoke book, a glorious present for anyone in your life coming up to Christmas quite soon why not get it uh, go to robertplant.com for more information on that because it is a thing of beauty hopefully we'll be back pretty soon there are more stories to tell there are more songs to talk about and there's plenty more where this series came from so until then I've been Matt Everett thank you very much for listening this has been a cup and nuzzle Production.